Well, good morning, Nexters. Good to have y'all back again. Good to have some new folks with us today. I do want to, you're new folks today, new, new faces. Good to have uh, Nate and Lindsay with us today. And uh, Kara and Troy are sitting on the front row. Julia and I were talking about this the other day. I think this is the first time since we've been in here that somebody sat on the front row. It's uh, only taken a year for y'all to realize I don't bite. Um, hey, we are working on something, uh, and I'm going to go ahead and put it out there. Uh, Nate uh, Henson came up with this idea. I said, hey, let's, let's do a little bit of extra content, uh, do a podcast. So we have a podcast tentatively uh, at this moment called Nextra. You can get to it through the church website, Nextra. See what I did? But um, we, we put a trial version out there. It's very rough. We're, we're going to tweak it and work on it. But um, if you're so inclined, you can go to the church website or through the church app and check out that first episode. Um, this one dealt with some, some of the stuff that Brother Bustard preached last Sunday uh, that kind of fell in line with some of the things that I've been reading in a personal devotion of mine. Nate said, hey, man, that's really good content. Why don't we put it out there? So, um, again, check it out. Listen to it. I'm open to comments, criticisms, suggestions for tweaking because it, it does need some work. It's not, it's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, um, but we um, some creative uh, suggestions would be, would be great. But uh, anyway, check it out. Nextra, it's on the website and in the app. So a few weeks ago, we started this series called The Four Gs, this uh, spiritual diagnostic tool for rooting out stuff like sin, anxiety, anger, stress, worry, all that stuff that's in there that we know shouldn't really be there, and in spite of our best efforts, it just kind of stays there. And this material comes from a book called uh, You Can Change by Tim Chester. And so far, uh, we have completed the introduction to the four G's, and then last week we started unpacking the first of the four G's, which is God is good, and we will uh, finish this one up today. So today we'll finish up this thought, God is good, so I do not have to look elsewhere for Satisfaction. Somebody said it. Thank you very much. All right. My life is complete. So just a little review before we continue. Um, First of all, remember that our actions flow from our behavior because belief governs behavior. Number two, spiritual dissonance. That's whenever our head, what we know, and what we believe in our heart are not in harmony. So we call that spiritual dissonance, and we just kind of we bring that up from time to time, and we'll continue to do that throughout the rest of the 4G. So whenever we say spiritual dissonance, we're talking about, I know something in my head, but yet my heart is somewhere else. Number three, if I have a low or a flawed view of God, then it's going to empower my bad habits. It's going to drive me towards spiritual dissonance. It's going to make me feel like a hypocrite and make me want to quit because this is thing, the stuff in my life that I just, I've tried and tried and tried to get right, but it's still not right, and so I just, I want to quit, I want to give up. All sin, this is a fourth point, all sin, every bad habit, everything in our lives that's inconsistent with Scripture that we want to change is a result of believing a lie about God. Not because you didn't try hard enough. Not because you didn't memorize enough scripture, not because you didn't fast enough, not because you didn't pray enough. It's because you, at a heart level, are engaging a lie about God. 
And sin uh, is empowered by holding at a heart level this lie about the nature of God. And all of that was in the introduction, and all of that is where the four G's come into play, because there are four G's, and obviously there's more to be said about God than can be encapsulated in four G's, but these four G's go a long way toward addressing some of the lies that we consume about God and about His nature. So last week we started with the first G, God is good. But if you really believe, if you really believe that God is good, then the result to your behavior is going to be that you don't look anywhere else for your satisfaction. You don't go anywhere else in order to be satisfied other than God. And the overwhelming portrait of God that's presented to us in the Bible is not this God of drudgery, this God of duty, this God of you better or else. But instead, it shows us a life that is fueled by joy. Y'all remember the story we talked about last week. The first time Jesus releases miracle power, what was going on? There's a party. There's a wedding. It's a three-day long party. It was a three-day long party, and the people had drunk a lot of wine. And Jesus is bringing joy into that. That's the first time that He ever releases miracle working power in his earthly ministry is to bring joy it could have been water it was just water that that's just nourishment that satisfies the need that gives us what we need but jesus said you know what i want to do a little bit more than that i'm going to give you something that's a source of joy that that's a good that's a good god and remember, Jesus doesn't just care about our actions, and He does. Don't anybody misunderstand Coop this morning. He does care about our actions. But it's not just our actions. He cares about the heart that's driving the behavior, the heart that's driving the action. Jesus, like we said last week, for those of you that will hear in awake, Jesus is about why our hearts want to do 120 drunk on the interstate, not just the act of doing 120 drunk on the interstate, but why do you still want to do it? Why do you still have a desire to do it? And the Lord knows that rules and watching you and looking over your shoulder, shoulder, putting some type of Jesus radar on your life is not going to make you want to drive better. And that's what He's concerned with. He's concerned with the way you want to drive, the way you want to live. And so then we went back to the Garden of Eden for a little while. And Satan caused Eve to question God's goodness. That was his approach to her. And remember, the first movement towards sin is an insinuation about God's nature. It's not sin yet. It's just a little insinuation about who God really is and what God's really about. Did God really say? Did He really tell you that? And the second movement towards sin is exhibited by Eve because it was not disobedience. Anybody remember? It's what? What's the next step towards sin? First one's an insinuation about God's nature. The second one's not disobedience. It's resentful obedience. Well, I mean, we, we can eat of the trees in the garden, but I mean, that one we can't, we can't eat of it. We can't even touch it. We can't even touch it. It's how ridiculous God is. We can't even. We can't, it's, it's, it's resentful obedience. 
Folks, and we made this point last week, but I want to reiterate, long before we ever give in to a sinful temptation, there's been an insinuation by darkness, first of all, that God is not good. And then second, there's been a decision on your part to keep following the rule, keep not breaking the law, while still entertaining that lie about God's nature. In this case, about His goodness. So finally, where we left off last week, the story's about Ulysses, Jason, and the sirens, right? Remember, Ulysses last had his men tie him to the mast of the ship because he really wanted to hear the song of the sirens. And the only thing that kept him from succumbing to their temptation and being destroyed was the physical bonds that held him to the mast, but he wanted to hear their song. And you contrast that with the story of Jason, not me, different Jason, who instead of wanting to hear the siren song, he brings with him a musician that can play a song who's more beautiful. Orpheus was his name. All right, so instead, the, the sirens, their song didn't stand a chance because he was listening and absorbed and engaged with something better. Something better. Okay. Um, and the, a quote from uh, Steve Storm's book, Says for, and I'll just leave you with this or give this quote again. For many people, Christianity is a tedious and ultimately unsatisfying aversion to temptations that they would much rather indulge. But nothing depresses me more than to think of expending my one life on earth merely suppressing my deepest desires, always acting contrary to what my soul continues to crave. But there is little hope of it being otherwise. So long as I seek satisfaction in something else other than God. What's got to change? What's in here? The heart has to change. What I desire has to change. We good? That's, that's a review right there. It's three weeks and five minutes. Okay, so continue on today with this thought about God is good. In Psalm 1611 it says... You make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In uh, Tim Chester's book, You Can Change, he said, whether we want to admit it or not, no matter how conscious we are of it, our lives are spent in the pursuit of pleasure. This is not bad in and of itself, The problem, when we're very honest, is that we look for pleasure in anything and anyone other than God. We believe that other things are better than God. We chase money, sex, power, recognition, all sorts of things, because we believe that they will give us what we're looking for. We believe at the root of it that these things are better than God. God is good. He's good. So we don't have to look elsewhere for our satisfaction. I touched on this last week about how God will create a need and then fulfills the need. So let's go back to the beginning, the very beginning, before the Garden of Eden even, the beginning. God establishes the pattern in the very beginning of Him creating a need and then Him meeting the need. He creates a need. He fills the need. God created time and space. Then He filled time and space 
with good things. Space was hungry for the goodness of God and God filled it with His creation and He said, this is good. God created Adam and Eve. He created Adam and then He created Eve. Why? Because God looked at it and said, this isn't good. This is not, it's not good for Him to be alone. So to bring completion, God said, there needs to be something else. He created Eve. God filled a need. God created humanity with many needs. I mean, what, what kind of needs do we have? Food. Yes, I need food. I need enchiladas. We talked about that last week. What else? What else do we need? We need food. We need water. We need shelter. What else do we need? Oxygen, air. That's a good thing. What else? Hmm? Yeah, we need him. Relationships. Yes, we need. We need relationships. We need other people. We need intimacy. We need love. Now, why do you think he created humans with needs? Think about that. I mean, he could have created us 100% self-sufficient. Right? I mean, come on, somebody. If he's going to create all of this stuff, he could have made us where we don't, we don't need anything else. He could have made us where I don't need enchiladas. Right? But he didn't. So why did he create us with needs? Thank you, Nate. Appreciate that. He created us with these physical needs. Water, air, food, shelter. But those physical needs point the way to a deeper reality. They remind us that we need something bigger than ourselves. They remind us that we need God. Our human needs bring us to a posture of looking to God for fulfillment. So we would know that we are incomplete. And we're incomplete without Him. And it demonstrates His goodness. If you look elsewhere, or if you look for satisfaction or fulfillment or meaning or identity, anywhere other than Jesus, you're going to be left empty. How many of y'all can say that's true? You've come to realize that. It's one of the most powerful lessons from the garden. It's not about... Well, it is about disobedience, but it's one of, the, one of the most powerful lessons to me is that whatever sin is offering you, God offers us first in Himself. Whatever sin is offering, God said, I've got that for you first, and it's, it's here, it's in me. God's not just good, guys. He's better. He's better. Better than everything else, He is a true source of joy, a true source of fulfillment. And whatever sin is offering you, whatever worry and anxiety and stress is offering you, and I, you're, that sounds weird to say that, but we tend to run to those patterns of anger, anxiety, stress, and worry because they do something for us. We're... Remember we talked about how messed up the heart is. We run back to the God saying, you know what? I've got something for you that is, that's better than all that. 
He is actually what our deepest heart is craving, yearning, crying out for. Every physical need that we have is a picture of our spiritual need. Your body needs rest, your soul needs rest. Your body is thirsty, your soul is thirsty. Body's hungry, your soul is hungry. Your body needs love, it needs intimacy. Your soul needs love and intimacy. God in His goodness meets the needs of your body. And God is the only one who can meet the needs of your soul. So there's this pattern. God creates a need, He fills a need. But we often get at odds with God because we've consumed another lie, and that being, I should never be in need. Is it necessary that we be in need? But here's the problem. When I look to someone else, whenever I objectify someone else, whenever I look to Julia as being the one who's going to save me and meet all of my needs, then I'm putting pressure on her to be God. I'm expecting her to do what God is supposed to do. And I'm using Julia because typically we put that, that pressure on our spouses because those are the people that, that we're closest to. But am I not setting myself up for failure and disappointment? And am I not setting her up for failure and disappointment? Absolutely. So it's no wonder that people let you down. It's no wonder we get into this disposable cycle in relationships. We ring out one person, then we're on to the next. Oh, well, you know, thrill is gone. Boop, drop you, move on to the next one. People are not big pins that we just discard whenever they don't write the way we want them to. But the reason they aren't fulfilling us is because we're looking to a flesh and blood person to do what only the Almighty God can do to begin with. It's, it's a lie. It's a lie that comes from the original lie in the garden. The lie is God's not really good. God's not really good to you. God's provisions don't really satisfy. I have to seek more than what He's given me in order to be happy. That was the lie in the garden. Oh God, you know, He said you could have everything, but this tree... He doesn't want you to have this tree because this tree is going to allow you to, to see, the, see things the way God sees them. You're going, to have, you're going to have more knowledge and more revelation if you... But I know God gave you these trees, but this one's going to be better. This is going to do something for you that, that God doesn't or God hasn't. Now, we know that's a lie. It's, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, Unless you're Cam Newton who says that hindsight's forty forty or whatever. Did anybody ever see that? No? Okay. The math works out the same. It works out the same, but it was funny. Uh, God called everything He created good. This occurred to me this morning, but God created the very concept of goodness. Everything He created, He said, that's good, that's good, that's good. Oh, that, that's really good. God created the very concept of goodness. Even the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was good, right? If experienced within the parameters of God's intent, the tree of knowledge was good. 
But Adam and Eve consumed this lie that led them to disobedience. They distrusted God as the provider of goodness. Oh, you're not, you're not really good. You're not really good to me, God. They believed that there was something better outside of Him and outside of His plan. They believed they had to, to experience... This is, this is where we're going. They believed to experience real goodness, they had to go outside of God's plan. To find something that was really satisfying to them, I've got to go somewhere outside of you, God. If I'm going to have a better revelation than what I've got right now, then I've, God, I've got to go outside of you. You don't know what's really good for me, God. I know what's better for me than you do. I know what I need better than you do. You're just trying to keep something that's good from me. And we become suspicious of His motives the moment He tells us no. Why don't you want me to have that tree? What are you trying... Just, just what are you trying to hide from me, God? <laughs> I haven't had to do this in a long, long time for which I am so grateful. But most of us have been there, and if we haven't yet at this point in our lives, then you'll probably get there at some point. But you have been convicted of some heinous, horrible crime. And your punishment is you've got to go to the supermarket with small children. <laughs> if more criminals were assigned this as a punishment? Sherry, is that gospel or not? And they are, they are hanging off the side of the cart and howling. It's that, that impulse aisle area that the demons themselves inspired the constructors of Walmart to place right there because everybody's got to go through checkout. And I, I don't know, Julia... She comments sometimes, you know, like the difference between men and women in the stores. Like men are hunters, women are gatherers. And guys are just like laser focused. This is the mission. And we will succeed at the mission. This is what I'm, that's the one thing. I'm going to hunt it down and kill it. That's, that's her terminology. I've, I've, on very few occasions, I, I've taken my kids or just one of them, geez, I haven't had to do it in a long time, but I get into this funnel of death. Like it's just this whirlpool of horror. And you just you're gonna push through, and they are they're screaming, you're screaming, put that down. No, you don't need that. You don't need another Lego. You're not getting gum again. Do you remember what happened the last time you had gum? You're not getting gum again. I told you that and told you that and told you that. You're not getting gum again. You're too young to be reading Cosmopolitan. Do not open the cover of that magazine. And the, the kids, they go nuts. Oh, I want that. I need that. And so if I, right... As a, as a human father am constantly redirecting and the kids they're looking to the just the it's the tiniest most meaningless trinket 
It's going gonna, it's gonna to save them from the 20 minutes of their life that they have lost locked up in the basket, right? It's, it's this little nothing. It's this little piece of junk as if that's going to somehow redeem all of, what, all of what's been lost that they've had to sacrifice. Father, you, would you deny me this one thing? And I'm, I'm sorry, you call me callous or whatever. I feel no compassion for that whatsoever. None. Yes, I will deny you that. It's just candy. It's just a magnifying glass. It's just a Lego, please. And you're trying to pry it out of their hands. And, no, yes, no. Yes. And you're, you're like, as the parent, whenever you can step back and breathe a little bit and the blood pressure comes down. Am I being too transparent this morning? You're like, really? Really? You're doing all of that. You're doing all of that for, for this. For this little, this little piece of junk. And in their smart little minds, you know, they're, I am about to embarrass you publicly. <laughs> you think you've been embarrassed up to this point, but I assure you, good sir, you have not been embarrassed yet. Because by the time I'm done, they're going to be calling OCS here to Walmart. But if you think all of that is absurd, if, if all of that is overly dramatic, imagine how God looks at it whenever He sees the way we act when He doesn't give us something we want. And it's all because my child thought that another Lego or sparkle lip gloss or a pack of sour gummy worms was going to, to save them was going to satisfy them, was really going to make them happy. Typically, I have found that whenever God says no, it's because I've got something better for you. It's because as the parent He's saying, you think that's going to fulfill you, but I know better. You're throwing, you're throwing a fit, Jason, over Hubba Bubba, and I'm trying to give you minchies if you'll let me. If we believe that, if we believe that God is good then Satan could never get between our ears in the first place. You could combat the temptation. You could, we could destroy sin before it even begins by believing that God is good. We're all the kid in Walmart. Question, and then... I'm not going to ask for a, a public response for this, just in, in, in your own little noggin there. What, what, are you, what would you say to this right now? When I have blank, then everything will be okay. 
What would you say to that right now? Be honest with yourself. When I have blank, everything will be okay. When I have 10,000 more a year, when I have a husband, when I have a wife, when I have another child, when I have a child, when I have that bigger house, when I have this many friends, whenever I have that friend, when I have blank, everything will be okay. What do you put there? Honestly, if we can't put Jesus in that blank, then we need to pray and ask God to show us what we're really believing about His goodness. This is not a Jesus juke, okay? I'm not, I'm not trying to juke you out of, sh- of your shoes. We're not being super spiritual here. This is, this is brass tacks practical living right here. I need to get to a place, Jason, y'all do with this what you want to. I'm talking to me right here. I need to get to a place where I can say, if I can just, if I can just get with God, if I can just spend some time in His presence, if I'm upset, get with Him and talk to Him so that we can clear the air. If, I am, if I'm hungry for something, if I can get with Him and let Him fulfill me. It's not some super spiritual pie-in-the-sky pipe dream that I'm giving you here. He is air. He is water. He is food. He is what I need. So, if you can honestly look at that question, when I have blank, everything will be okay. Whatever you would put there, in that blank, that's your God. That's your Lord. So what is your heart saying about God? In his book, The Weight of Glory, some of you guys have heard this from me before. Um, In The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis states, we are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Much like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are too easily pleased. Guys, things are, they were never created to ultimately satisfy us. That person was never created to ultimately satisfy you. All of those things, they, whatever it is, house, car, clothes, money, relationships, career, all of those things, folks, they have got a very short shelf life. So whatever you put in that blank, if it's, any, if it's anything other than Jesus, it's going to eventually leave you empty and searching for something else. Searching for the next thing. In uh, John chapter 4, most of you guys in here, y'all are going to know the story, the story of the the Samaritan woman. Jesus meets her at the well, right? And he asks her this question about her husband. And it, it just, it pierces straight to the heart of her, her life and, and, and what's been going on in her life. 
because she's been looking for satisfaction. I mean, how many times was she married? She's married four times, right? And he said, the one that you're with right now, he's not even your husband. Obviously, there's a problem. She's, she's been looking for satisfaction in relationships and men and sex and intimacy. And sure, there was pleasure there for a while, but it kept leaving her empty and thirsty, and Jesus nailed it. Because he said, if you drink of the water that I'm offering you, what? You're not ever going to be thirsty again. Nothing but God really satisfies folks in a true and satisfying way. So if we look for satisfaction, if we look for meaning, fulfillment, identity, anywhere else other than Jesus, then we're going to be left empty. There may be a moment of refreshment and and pleasure, sure. But you're going to be thirsty again. So how do we fix it? This is the Brian Tear Clause, okay? like to put these in there because we need to be practical. How do we fix it? First of all, we need to realize that what can be done is done in Jesus. Come to realize that God really is good and He already gave us the ultimate display of His goodness first and foremost in Jesus Christ. We'll get into this a little bit more next week whenever we talk about how God is gracious. But in Jesus, God gives us the ultimate picture of His goodness. So number one, what's already, what can be done is already done. It's in Jesus. Number two, acknowledge that I have been looking to other things to deeply satisfy me and how I'm not believing that God is good enough at a heart level. Acknowledge that. I'm talking about how to fix this. Number three, confess and repent of disbelieving God's goodness. God, I've been trusting in things. I've been trusting in people. I've been trusting in myself. Whatever it is that I put in that blank, that's what I've been trusting instead of trusting Your goodness. And I'm sorry. I've been believing this lie about You at a heart level, and it's got to change. So I acknowledge it. Jesus, I confess it to you. I'm sorry. And then confess with your mouth. Out loud. With your voice. Confess with your mouth. God is good. God is good to me. And I don't have to look anywhere else for satisfaction. And here's the last part. Watch this. Whenever you're faced with the temptation to find satisfaction in other things, whenever you realize this has been going on in my life, I have been seeking satisfaction and putting these unrealistic expectations on on another person or on this thing, on my career, don't say, I mustn't do this. Rather say, I don't need this in order to be satisfied. You see the difference? One is legalism. One is Phariseeism. I cannot. I must not. I better not. It's it's lashing yourself to the mast of the ship. The other one is the gospel. I don't need this to be satisfied. And the reason why I don't need this to be satisfied is because Jesus is my satisfaction. I've got something better. 
I've got something real. Something that it's not just lasting, but it is eternal. So yeah, I, I may have a moment of desire. I may find myself in a, in a moment of temptation. But I'm listening, I'm listening to a better song. That, that's the song that has my heart. Not the song of the sirens. So next week, God is gracious, full of grace. So I don't have to prove myself. That's where we'll be headed next week. Questions? Comments? Observations? Then as way of closing, I will ask you to think on two questions this coming week. Okay? One is the same question we asked last week. What evidence is there in my life that I'm not believing something about God's goodness at a heart level? Okay? Number two, the other question that we asked today, if I just had blank, then everything would be okay. Let those two questions chew at you a little bit this week. Let's pray. God, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for being with us today. I pray that You would help us, God, to come to an even greater revelation and understanding of Your goodness. You fill in the blanks for me, Lord. And I want You to fill in every single blank I've got. Lord, I trust and believe that You really, really, really are good. Make that goodness real to each one of us, Lord. In Jesus' name. Thanks, folks. Y'all have a good week. We'll see you in a few minutes.